0: Esteemed audience and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I'm your host, Rob Kent. As you know, I'm the author of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, the greatest novel ever written. And good news, you can own that greatest novel written, ever written, as an audiobook, as a paperback, and the e-book is free. Yes, free free to download whenever you're watching or listening to this, wherever fine eBooks are sold. Uh, Don't worry about me. Once you're hooked on Banneker Bones, you're going to have two sequels to purchase for cash money. So we'll, we'll be square by the end Uh, under the super secret a uh, pen name Robert Kent. I've written some books for older readers. For more information about them, more information about me, and more importantly, interviews with thousands of authors, literary agents, editors, all the world's best people, go to middlegradeninja.com. Uh, and that is more than enough intro. we got to get this thing started. My God, David Nielsen is here with us tonight. David, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I appreciate you You're making the time. Uh, the esteemed audience knows that um, I never summarize anybody else's biography or anybody else's. <laughs> why would I make you sit through that when you're right here and you could tell us? Uh, so why don't we begin? If you would just give uh, esteemed audience kind of an overview of your background.
1: All right. Hello, esteemed audience. Uh, I am a middle grade author. Uh, specifically, I work in spooky middle grade for the most part. I'm the author of, um, I got two, I got three books published. uh, Dr. Fell and the Playground of Doom, uh, Beyond the Doors. And then my latest one while we're here talking is Lillian Lovecraft and the Harmless Horrors. Uh, I've been writing novels for about 10 years. Before that, I was writing screenplays in Hollywood. Uh, I got one TV show, went into, uh, was, went into, never was, film but it was optioned and then I had one film that was made straight to a DVD and I never tell anyone because it's horrible and god forbid you actually stream it and watch it you'll, you'll never get those hours back to your life uh I'm currently living in Sleepy Hollow New York I'm a professional storyteller uh I so now it's now that it's just passed October is over I'm now sad but I spent all of October terrifying small children uh with my stories and doing the Legend of Sleepy Hollow and things like that uh all over the all over the county uh now that's all over so now I go into hibernation and I don't come out again until early September I hope uh but other than that that's me I um I'm excited to be here and uh, to, to share what I have with you guys
0: how can you supplement the the rush of horrifying small children in the off-season? You're going to have to write another horror novel, I imagine.
1: <laughs> I suppose I can give it a shot.
0: Well, I've got uh, all kinds of questions for you. Why don't we start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. Uh, what's, the, what's your first memory of wanting to be an author?
1: You know, the first memory of wanting to be an author... Uh... I was uh, 10 years old i wrote my first book um it was like 20 pages it was an adventure uh, starring a very original completely original character named kentucky jones no relation i'm sure um and uh my mom you know back then in, in in the days of the dinosaurs we had to write you know you were writing cursive and print so my mom typed it up on a typewriter and then made a, we made a little cover and we gave copies to, you know, grandparents and whatnot. And that was my first actual book. I was 10, uh, which puts it right about when Raiders of the Lost Star came out. So I'm kind of dating myself a little bit. Um, but that was the big thing, of course. So, yeah, that was my first. I knew it was the excitement of having that book, even though it was typed by mom and that she, she taped it at one of my third grade Photos, you know, in the back is a about the author, and you know we have a kind of a cardstock cover, but still holding something complete that was mine, and that was uh, I knew that that's I wanted to be a writer. I knew that, that that was something I wanted to experience again.
0: I was in the third grade. I had a, a book we did for a class, and mine was the Twits too. So I think Kentucky Jones, as far as originality goes, <laughs> is already just head and shoulders above. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I always liked Kentucky Jones. I don't know where he went. Bring him back someday in a parody.
0: Oh, yeah. I think that's a story that's that's ripe to be told. And uh, you add some Lovecraftian monsters in there, my friend. <laughs> that's story <laughs> <I write> right <laughs> itself. <laughs> yeah. Um. So were you a big reader as a child as well? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. I read all the time. Um, sometimes I would be reading while walking. Uh, even up through college, I was I was known to be always having a book with me, and back then, of course, in uh, you know at the age 10, ten, eleven, twelve, we um, there was no such thing as middle grade; that genre didn't exist. So I read adult science fiction and fantasy mostly. I read Arthur C. Clarke, Isaac Asimov, David Eddings. Even tried my hand at Tolkien, but that was a bit much for me at that age. Um, Piers Anthony, the Xanth books, things like that kind of what I
0: gobbled up at that age. Piers Anthony is just the perfect book, I think, for for a young impressionable adolescent. at least it was for me. No, the Xanth Chronicles
1: absolutely were fantastic. And I read some of his other, Bio of the Space Tyrant, was always a good one, and he had a couple others. I think he did did either do Tarot with those his. But the Xanth books are the classic Piers Anthony, and they are the glorious introduction into fantasy. I think they're really a good, is what they were. They're very, very formulaic. They have various things that have always happen, and it was real, it was it was the beginning of middle grade. It wasn't called middle grade because it didn't exist. It was called adult fantasy, but I think really uh, the Xanth books are middle grade.
0: The nice thing about formulaic books at that age is you don't know the formula yet, so it's all new to you. It right. appears right. Anthony must have invented this. That genius. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was actually very. You know, with that being like a. Uh, you know the Xanth books were such a big part of me uh, as a kid that Piers Anthony as a as a the name I also loved his uh the fates the the various on a pale horse and the the death time fate all these the book his book about those series but years later I wrote a short story it was in a magazine and then the magazine later on decided they want to do a released an anthology of their best of and they put my story in there as well as a story with, from Piers Anthony so I was like I'm finally in a collection with Piers Anthony It's like that's so awesome but uh yeah things go
0: wow that is tremendous that's 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 a badge of honor I assume you have that book someplace on the show oh, yeah
1: yeah I've got it absolutely
0: uh and reading and walking how's that work
1: it's tricky um I would I would you know kind of looking up and down as I go like I could see if I'd read a sentence or two and my head would keep reading that sentence as I look at it like I could see it and I would usually do it in places that I knew where I was so I didn't necessarily have to look as much because I kind of knew the root route um, but I just, I just loved reading I love if I'm in a good story I don't want to stop. So I would have uh, you know these books that I would I, you know I'd, I'd have them in class under my under my other books that I'm supposed to be studying in class and I'd have the book I'm reading down here and be like oh yes sir no that's that's this is the answer we're it's we're Georgia okay moving on you know whatever you can get so yeah anytime I got a chance to read is something that I wanted to do and still still try to do try to read as much as I can.
0: And have you ever tried uh, writing and walking?
1: No uh because i'm afraid i would fall and the pencil would go through my eye and blood everywhere just nasty just nasty stuff
0: yeah now that's us get only into disasters probably for the best yeah yeah i think so although i've talked to writers to do this i haven't been able to do this myself um but uh, who take walks and will dictate books directly into their their phone or tape recorder or whatever if I had the technological know-how to do that, I probably could because I certainly
1: think ideas. I come across the ideas, I think about them, but I think um, I can't figure out how to use my phone properly. I'm not that generation, I'm, I'm a little too old for that. I got the internet down, but then those those, those pesky phones came up and that's the n- next thing. And then soon it'll just be a chip in your body, but yeah, you know, or the Google glasses, whatever happened to the Google glasses, they're gonna bring those back. Uh, and that's how we'll be able to see everything on your, but right now I can't, uh, I haven't, been, you know, not into it. And even when I can, like I've got a couple of recording pieces on it, then it's such a pain to have to listen it back and type it in and so forth. So I just not on that.
0: Yeah, I had this silly idea in my head. It's probably misguided, as so many of my writing thoughts are. Um, but I, I have this thought that if uh, if I have an idea while I'm out of my walk or whatever, if it's a good idea, it will still be there. It when will I still hope. be there, right yes. Now, it's one of those bad ones that will go back to the ether and make room for the, hopefully the, the ether uh, and hopefully make room for a, a better idea.
1: Yeah, but uh, unfortunately, that isn't always the case. I've lost plenty of ideas that I knew were absolutely brilliant uh, because I didn't uh, write them down or hello kitty tail or um,
0: Mabel making her uh, usual guest appearance on the show. <coughs> uh, yes. she,
1: yep. My cats, uh, I have two cats, but they will not uh, allow themselves to be uh, held by me. So uh, we're not going to be able to see them. They're not going to be up here walking around, uh, but I do love the cats. Um, but uh, I mean, what I was talking about now, yes
0: ideas.
1: uh yes and we've talked about um no i don't you know there's no there's no brain up here it's just a big empty hole It's <laughs> air going in there because cat i see cat and it's like you know i'm like in, in up that dog you know but squirrel I'm, I'm more like let me tell you about the hypothesis about what man's real purpose in cat you know just gone
0: <laughs> well, I've read uh, two guest posts by you available now at middlegradedungeon.com which I'll continue to plug throughout the program because I love oh. those guest posts and I think everyone should read them. And I'll put them in the show notes. Uh, I've just read your most recent novel, so there's a brain in there for sure. Can be <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you. Then I feel uh, happy. I'm not. And someday I'll have the hat surgically removed, but right now it's just stuck there. And I just take your word for it that it's not an empty hole at the top. Uh,
0: those of you listening, uh, David is wearing a purple top, purple top hat. Is that a fair description? Yes, it's a purple top hat. Purple uh, that took me
1: a long time to find. Um, for the videos, I'll, you can see those on video. I'm showing up the cover of my book, Dr. Fell in the Playground of Doom. And you see the character has a purple top hat. And I mentioned that. I described that in the book. So when the guy put it on there, that was absolutely correct. But I had to have the same hat as Dr. Fell. And uh, I looked online and Amazon, all the purple top hats were like really nasty, flimsy, the stuff that you'd wear for a day, but like they're made out of paper, none of them were good. So we were, my family and I were vacationing in London and on Portobello Road, all these markets were just walking past. And my wife's like, David, there's your hat, and you know I have to buy the hat. And so I'm I'll fly back to to, to uh, America with holding my purple top hat in my lap because I'm not going to you know shove it in something, whatever. But yes, it's and I'll bring it to all my events because it's my purple top hat, and I I like it. They make
0: well, me happy. Now that you've got uh, not Doctor Fell's hat, it's your hat, but kind of Doctor Fell's hat. Yeah. Did you was that intended? You wear that? I'm assuming to promote the books. Do you wear that when you write? I wear it when I'm promoting um,
1: my books uh, it gets the connection obviously people see the people see the uh, cover and they'll they'll say oh that's so and so. I often get is oh you're Willy Wonka cuz I completely forgot that Willy Wonka Gene Wilder wears a purple top hat throughout <laughs> Willy Wonka. Uh, I completely forgot about that. Uh so no no I'm not Willy Wonka I'm Dr. Fell. you didn't and and it's also just become someone something that I've been known by, uh, you know, people. Oh, it's the guy with the purple top hat. Okay, good, we know him. I've had people like I was at one. I was at a festival, I was at a street fair, and uh, someone who knew me but was far away from me. Some another like a random person was asking some questions that she knew I would be able to answer. She's like, oh, go go find the one with the purple top hat. He can he can answer this for you. You I know, it's like okay, we'll go find David, and there I am.
0: Well, I want to talk about uh, Lillian Lovecraft and the Harmless Whores, available now, esteemed audience, you could be uh, purchasing it on your phone or whatever device you're listening to us on. Um, I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about your transition from traditionally published author now to I think hybrid author. Is that an accurate
1: description? Yeah, hybrid is probably good. Still working on it. So my first two books were traditionally published through Crown Books for Young Readers. Um... And I still, you know, I still have other, I had an agent who's been pushing other books around. We have a book we're pushing right now, trying to get things going. But um, meanwhile, Lillian Lovecraft was a book, a story that's very near and dear to my heart that lots of people, uh, publishers would read and they'd say, we really like the writing. We just have no idea what to do with this. So we're not, we're going to pass. Like everyone liked it, but no one would know how to market it. So I finally said, you know what? I want this to show life. So I decided that I'm going to put it out there myself because uh, it's a it's a, such a wonderful story. Um, includes some of the characters that I've beloved more than anything. Um, show you, you the, the cover. You can see the cover here. Uh, this is Frank, and he's the star, as far as I'm concerned. Lillian's the star, of course, but Frank is the sh- steals the sh- uh, show for me. Um, and so I wanted to get him. In fact, my mother's building is creating a, a plush Frank for me. So I'll have a, a stuffed animal of Frank when I can go to places. I'm really looking forward to that. It'll be very exciting. Um, but yeah, so I decided to go the independent route, self publishing route for this one and to see how it works. I, I, have, I know people, you know, you hear people that they make $100,000 or more a year, they make all this money. Uh, independent publishing. I have a friend. I do know somebody who makes a very good living self-publishing. Now they self-publish erotica, uh, which is not what I do, uh, but it's all them and uh, they make plenty of money. And so I, you know, they've got lots of books. That's the key is have a large number of books, but I want to see if I can make that uh, work on my end while we're still trying to push some stories out traditionally I have a backlog, a large backlog of stories that I want to get out, uh, that I'm going to try to do uh, independently, and see how that works.
0: I'm to want to tease that for now because I want to kind of continue on your your author's journey, and. Uh... Get, get the whole david nielsen experience mm-hmm. uh so what's the what's the foray into film when when do you go from i want to be an author when i grow up to i want to be a filmmaker or is it all kind of one uh group? well I, to be honest i you know i want to be an author
1: uh i want to be an actor as well i ended up in hollywood um to be an actor uh because that's why i actually have a degree in theater that's what i've always loved but I was always the one who was writing the stuff that we were doing or adapting the plays or whatever i was always doing the writing um and i would write stories and this and that and i never thought you know it's like you wanted to be an author but like authors are these special people who obviously i could never be one of them because they are so amazing people that they, they probably live on an island all by themselves there's just a little author island and they're they're brought in there and they're fed tea leaves you know i don't know so um i never thought about it and then i took a class in screenwriting and that's great and i'm in hollywood so i started doing that and i caught on i got a caught on to an extent i got a manager we we uh optioned a tv show we had something going on Uh, But nothing ever actually came of it. It's a long, it's it's, it's the, uh, my my career was stuck in development hell, they say. That's what it's called. Um, It just never, nothing ever happened. Uh, And then eventually after a good number of years doing that, uh, and we moved out of Los Angeles to uh, where we are now in New York. And that um, was a good break for me. Um, I still tried a little, you know, screenplays, but then I thought, occurred to me, very important thing occurred to me, a lot more books get published each year than movies made. So I probably had a better shot at getting a book made than a movie. But the first thing was, can I write prose? Because writing a screenplay is great. It's all dialogue. It's talk, 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 with very little description. Well, that isn't a good book unless you're Dan Brown. So I had to try to put in Some could I write actual prose? So I started with short stories. And after a while I figured I could do this. And I can be just selling a lot of the short stories at all almost everyone I wrote would be bought by somebody. And then it was like, okay, let's try books. Uh, I'm ready now. You know, I've done I decided that I can do. Let's get the larger story. And so naturally the first thing I did was adapted one of my screenplays. Uh didn't go anywhere, but uh it was something I I knew the story. The story is done. So now I don't have to, you know, it's it's outlined, it's written um but that didn't didn't work out as well as i like but then i got the uh books that got me the agents and then you know we we sold dr fell and it was all history from there
0: i imagine if you're starting with something we have already written a screenplay and it's your first attempt at at an actual prose novel Mm -hmm. if nothing else that's got to make just practicing your first time out with prose a lot easier already having the story already having the dialogue
1: yeah it was um you know, I had the dialogue, although it's it, interestingly enough, what I discovered as I'm writing it is that when I write the scene, like there, there's a scene in a movie, right? There's a scene that, you know, and then I translate that to a scene in a book with the same dialogue in the book. It's a really thin, short scene and much more. I just feel like it's just a wimpy scene and it needs more. So I have to expand it and create it and give it more shelter and give it some shading, color, and whatnot. Uh, but you you don't have time in a movie to do all that because then then your scenes would be so long. Your movie would be six hours and you know it's ridiculous. So in movies, it's about cutting it down to like, can you do this? You do the scene with ten lines. That's great. Now do it with nine. Now you know what? Make it eight lines because that that'll get it. We five. Try five and get the information out as quickly as possible so we can move to the next scene. Um, and five lines may give a full, because, I'm, because of the movie, may give it a full idea, give a full scene, but five lines of dialogue uh, isn't enough in a book to really give it more than you know, half a page or more. Uh, so it was a good, my own screenplays are a good starting point, And I have a couple more that I'm considering adapting, uh, always have for a while but um, they're just a starting point. But it is nice to have the whole arc of the story is complete. Uh, I know what happens in the story. I know how it's going to end. I know who the characters are and what they're doing and their secrets and so forth. And that doesn't have to be created. It's just, you know, describing it. That's what has to be done.
0: So how many uh, screenplays did you have under your belt by the time you're, you're thinking about switching over to novels?
1: Like eight or nine maybe yeah something around there and only one never got made no yeah no more no one got made but now more like 11 or 12 when I think about it because I forgot about the whole that whole section so probably about 10 11 12 screenplays were done uh, and then one was made um, and it was horrible <laughs> I learned it was made low budget and I, the first thing like it was a, it was an action adventure uh and at one point there's this massive the end was the, the the hero and the villain have this fight and they go into a river and they're fighting the river and they go over a waterfall and they're fighting you know it's this exciting stuff so it comes time to film it and it's just the two of them having a fist fight in a small stream because that's what they can afford they're not going to send anyone over the waterfall they got to punch it out in the stream and so you get the center idea you know they got the they, at one point they realized they could blow up one small thing and they're like that's gonna be the centerpiece and like in the script it was like a tiny like afterward but now like okay that's gonna be the big thing because they have the budget to blow this up so we're gonna blow this up and oh boy that that becomes the big thing and it wasn't the script so i learned a lot uh about uh, about making slow budget movies and I, the first time we, i met with the lead who was this big burly guy a cage fighter a dutch cage fighter and uh i've written the beginning to give his character a backstory i wanted to know where this character came from and what drives him and motivates him so i had some some talk about that and whatnot first thing he sits down i'm sitting with him and the director and myself and he's like okay first i don't say all these words he starts crossing out whole paragraphs (laughs) too many words (laughs) okay i can see where this is going (laughs) That's Hollywood for you.
0: Oh, it's time for a voiceover. <laughs> <laughs> you just get Michael Caine or Morgan Freeman or somebody to narrate, and that's <laughs> right, right covered. <laughs> so when you're dealing with uh when you're with a small production like that. If they're tearing your screenplay apart anyway, and they don't have the money to necessarily film the scenes that you had originally envisioned, can you at least come back to them and say, "Hey, you know, I'm an actor. Can can you get me a couple of lines in this thing?" Or- yeah, they offered me
1: a part, but they were filming this, this section. It was it happened it was filmed right when my daughter was born, and I just and they wanted they were filming some of it in Trinidad, and uh, I they offered me a small part that would be in Trinidad, but I couldn't get away for a few days. I mean, my daughter was literally like three weeks old and so I, 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 was, I stayed with her but i got to visit the sex they, they did part of it in Trinidad and they filmed part of it in los angeles and so when they were on the part in los angeles i got to visit one day and it was kind of fun actually that i do have somebody somebody was in it who is now somebody which is michael michael ritter who plays yondu or is that his name the the blue guy in guardians of rooker? galaxy michael rooker rooker that's it rooker, rooker. michael rooker so Michael Rooker is the big villain in my movie. Oh wow! So, yeah, it was cool. This was a long time before Guardians of the Galaxy. His big thing at that time would have been either Sixth Day with Schwarzenegger or Cliffhanger with Sylvester Stallone. Those were his big things at the time.
0: He's been around forever. Well, he has. Second portrait is. of uh, Port- Henry. Portrait of a Southern Right.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: Another good one. It turns out I'm kind of a Michael Rooker fan. I'm, I'm just realizing this. I've been watching that guy a long of time. Oh, yeah. There you go.
1: Well, <laughs> you know, to pick up. You have to find find my films called The Eliminator. You can get it on. You can find it on on YouTube, and it's it's a bring a six pack.
0: <laughs> sure <laughs> well thing is how this is the first time we finally revealed the name of this film i'm getting the sense that spending the time with your newborn daughter was absolutely the right decision
1: <laughs> yes it was it was and it wasn't even my title i had a different title entirely but I, and that you know that's the same thing in books too i i both both of my books were that were traditionally published ended up with different titles than what i ended up similar close but they had to make it different for them. In one of them, I think they did better, and one eh, is just as well either way. They they did improve one of them. So,
0: so what uh, what's your original training to be a screenwriter? Was it just working with, with actors, or did you go to to school someplace to learn? No, to...
1: I mean my school is all theater. Uh, when I was in college studying theater, I did take a screenwriting course. Um that was a lot of fun and i was even then i wrote i remember a play because i was going to be writing plays i'm in theater now <laughs> and so i wrote a play um and we actually got to perform it uh and everyone loved the first half and the second half when things got serious and whatnot and they're like nah it didn't work so well uh i was because I, I was much more a comic i've been a comic most of my career in terms of writing and then for some reason i turned to horror my mother still has no idea why that happened but um so now i mix both now my horror is very funny uh at least i i try to think so i like to think so um my my you know middle grade horror can't be over the top horrific because you know eight nine year olds reading this so it has a lot of humor and needs to be infused in it and that that's where it kind of hits my sweet spot of combining the two uh as for study other than that class and now it's just a lifetime of writing I've always been a writer uh you know essays or whatever I was always writing stories always enjoying writing things so and writing is a muscle uh the more you practice it the better you get so the fact that I was always writing stuff just makes my writing better and better and better um just like if you're playing basketball the more you shoot a free throw you'll get better at it you playing it, playing the violin you'll get better the more you practice writing is the same thing you need to practice
0: so you come back to new york and you were writing adult horror for a bit when do you decide to make that transition to middle grade what inspires them
1: picture uh, i so i'm i'm well I, so i am writing adult horror and then the, the, I start doing the uh, short stories and they're all adult horror. Most of my short stories are adult horror. But when it came time for a book, I was utterly inspired by a single picture, an illustration drawn by the late Trina Schart-Hyman, who was a uh, children's illustrator in the 70s and 80s. And she was part of this project where... I don't know who asked a whole bunch of illustrators to draw one picture of their favorite fairy tale or fable. It was all for charity. So lots of different people in it. The only one I can ever remember is Chris Allsberg, the guy who did Jumanji, he did one also. But she did one. And while you saw like there was a um, Little Miss Muffet, Santa Tuppet. There was the, whoever the one with the, yeah, Little Miss Muffet. And there was a Peter, Peter pumpkin eater. And there was a bunch of other stuff. And then Trina Short hyman did something called Dr. Fell. And she had this picture of this guy uh, who's this old guy in a top hat. It's it's black and white. It's all pencil. And he's kind of pointing down at a little girl. He's like, hey, come here, little girl. And the girl's looking up at her like, I don't like you. And on his back, we can see, because they're in profile, but the girl can't see. He's got a basket, and out of the baskets... Our children's body parts. Uh, and I just thought that was the coolest thing. Um, so I looked up, so I, I had to know, what, what is this? What is this? And I asked my, my mother-in-law, who was a expert in children's literature for 50 years at Boston Public Schools. So if anyone knows anything about you know, fable or fairy tale, it'll be her. So I say, what is this? And she says, uh, uh, I don't know. So we looked it up, we Googled it. And turns out the doctor fell was created from a poem in 1680 by a guy named tom brown he wrote a four line poem i do not like thee dr fell the reason why i cannot tell but this i know and know it well i do not like thee dr fell that's it and trina shart hyman took those four lines and created this picture and that picture it spoke to me i knew i had a whole story in there and because it centered on an old man talking to a little girl i knew the girl was the hero or in this case there's, there's three kids two of them are girls or the hero is at this age level and i started writing with that in mind that uh, this is this is for kids because dr fell is a fable it's a fairy tale and it just came out really well uh and I mean, it it got published, so came out pretty well. Uh, and it, but but from that one picture, kind of set me on the path. And with that success, and it was so much easier. It was easy for me. Like my my adult horror, it, they're all short stories. I can't I can't extend them. They they just they're just very short little pieces. But this had a whole life in it. I could extend it out. So that's what I ended up doing with the. Um, with with the books that's why the books are middle grade and the short stories are adult
0: so is it you get inspired you have this frenzied period of about a month where you write the whole book down and then you send it to an agent and the agent says yes let's do this or is there there a little bit more of a (laughs)
1: so um i wrote took me four months to write dr Phil, um and i was writing other things in between uh, I used to, used to go I'd write like one day, write on one project and another project, and just keep going back and forth between two or three projects until one of them hooked me and I suddenly fell in love. And that was very quickly Dr. Fell's. So the others get put aside, and I've got to finish this one, go on the path. And so it took me about four months to get that done. And I already had an agent at that time because of a book I'd written before then uh, that had gotten his interest but hadn't been sold. And so when I showed him Dr. Fell, he's like, oh, I can sell this. Oh, don't worry. Uh, This I can sell. And he was right. Eventually, there were a couple of different companies that wanted it. And they didn't get to have a bidding war because they were with the same parent company. So they just had like a nice conversation. You take it. Now you take it. Now you take it. And then uh, I got my book deal. Um, It was a two-book deal. So that's the second book, Beyond the Doors, came out of that. Um, But it's not a sequel or anything. It's completely separate story.
0: And this is the literary agent, Eric, who's thanked uh, in, in the back of the newest book. Cool. It's, yep, that's it's Eric.
1: Eric Eric, Myers, an excellent agent. Although he does more adult. No, he doesn't do as many kids. I'm one of his, was one of his few uh, last kids uh, authors. He had for a long time Chris Grabenstein. And when Chris Grabenstein left, I think that, that was a lot of his desire to do children's stuff left with that
0: well that makes sense mm-hmm. um but now does it make sense i don't know that it does sometimes i just say things and i listen to myself but <laughs> <was it? laughs> <Who knows? laughs> so okay uh so dr fell that's a pretty easy relatively easy can, considering the other the other books as far as getting that that sold uh mm-hmm. and then the next book what's that look like between the the doors is that four months Be, of,
1: beyond of the doors that took longer so that was the first time that i'd written something like with a deadline because they're like great it's a two book deal uh, they want they wanted me to pitch them ideas for a second book and they specifically said they didn't want a sequel to dr Fell. So I had some ideas. I had a couple of different books that I was like that each had written 30, 40 pages, and I summarized those. And then I had an idea for a sequel, so I added it just in case they changed their mind. And then I sent these four ideas to my agent to, to send on. And he came back and said, no, give, give me a fifth. Five's a better number than four. So I, I didn't have a fifth number, fifth project, but I had a picture in my mind that I'd played with for years, and... Um, so i described this picture and of course that's the one that they chose the picture ended up being very much like the cover although this is much better drawing than mine mine would be stick figures but that's when it came time for the what do you want what do you think the cover should look like i said well the picture that made the whole thing happen um, but so when they said they want that book and he, here's your deadline you got to do it by this and this and this time and i had no idea what the story was i just had a picture i didn't know what was going on so i had to do a lot of questioning and figure things out about in trial and error what's going on in, in this book mo- in this book why is it a story why is it in- interesting so it took six months and uh I came out with a very 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 pleased I think it's, I think it came out really well uh very intricate far more intricate and detailed than Dr. Fell Dr. Fell I say is like a good for like is, is, is everyone loves Dr. Fell and that's when I, if I'm meeting people in the street and they're asking, or I'm at a fair, a book set fair, if the kids are like eight or nine, I'll push them to Dr. Fell. If they're like 11 and 12, I'll say, you, you can try Beyond the Doors. It's a little more complicated. You got to follow things a little more. And it's
0: also about a hundred pages longer. And then, so when do um, you start working on Lillian Lovecraft?
1: Lillian was actually the next one I wrote after Beyond the Doors. Um, and I was excited thinking it would be the third one that they'd be published, that the, the two-book deal, and they'd come on and come back and do the third one. But they decided they didn't want to do more with me, and then when they looked at Lillian, it just wasn't, again, they're like, I, it's, it's, it's a nice read, but I, I can't do anything with it. I don't know what, what it is. I don't know how to market it. And so we pitched it to a bunch of different people, and we got pretty much that response everywhere which is, this is a great book, but I wouldn't know how to market it. Because with traditional publishing, that's a thing. You know, where can we say what comps? It has no comps. You know, I mean, sometimes I say maybe, you know, I get a lot of lemony, maybe lemony snicket. My writing can be in that genre, perhaps. Um, Especially Dr. Fell falls in that realm. But really, there isn't many comps for the Lynn Lovecraft that style of 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 humor uh, mixed with Lovecraftian nastiness just isn't done uh and for kids is not done very much for some reason I can't figure out why because you know I think it's brilliant but that's me
0: well let's uh Let's talk a little bit about the the book. So, as promised, I won't I won't make you sit through me summarizing your book. What does esteemed audience need to know uh, about Lillian Lovecraft so they can be purchasing their copy while they're listening to us?
1: Okay. Well, Lillian Lovecraft uh, is uh, is brilliant, great book. You should buy it. No. Uh, well, yes, but it's Lillian Lovecraft is uh, about fourteen years old, and she accidentally becomes haunted by a horrific entity from beyond time and space whose name is frank and frank likes to eat mustard play with people's toupees he's he's like a little kid he's not really evil as he is obnoxious and he's not so much haunting her as he is making her babysitting but frank's arrival is the harbinger of the arrival of far worse things that are going to start coming Uh, and then there's a demented madman I guess that means the same thing, but a demented individual who is trying to open a portal into Frank's realm. And if he succeeds in doing that, then a gigantic eyeball will come and probably devour all of mankind. It is only up to Lillian and her friends and then Frank, if he feels like it, to join forces and stop the madman and save the world and have some mustard for breakfast. It's um, it's a, a very, there's a lot of humor in it. But I mean, the name Lillian Lovecraft is not a homage definitely to the Lovecraftian way. The horrors, you know, Frank has seven eyes on tentacles, three mouths, and five, uh, five, five arm tentacles, seven eye stalks, and three mouths. And he's, you know, gelatinous and pink. He can squeeze himself into anything. He's just, just and they come across all kinds of just mind blowing horrors, things that I can't even bizarre creations uh, that haunt you know I, I would dip into my mind for the most crazy things i can come up with uh, a creature that does this and looks like this a giant tongue you know whatever uh, and then the people that they drive insane or, or so forth so uh, the thing is that lillian's the only one that can see frank which is fun so she but they see her talking to him so they all and they eventually they, her friends know that frank exists but they just see one side of the conversation whenever she's talking to them uh, because they can't see him, but she can, and they can't hear him, but she can, etc. Cetera, etc.
0: So, who uh, are you thinking would be the ideal reader
1: uh, for the story? The you know, ideal reader is someone probably a child 10, 11, 12, 13 or so who likes, who, who wants to have some fun, who uh it doesn't take himself or herself too seriously enjoys a good fantasy enjoys a good story that this ended up being a big story of friendship and the, there is like a positive bonding between Lillian and Frank that that really becomes the center of the story is this friendship and uh you know how do you become friends with somebody something that is so different from you and yet so uh, you know so similar but so different and, and you know completely different species Uh, different habits different whatevers Uh, and this becomes uh, the tentpole of what brings the story to life i think you know if you if you like talk about some fantastical stuff you talk about the lemony snicker we mentioned um trying to think of some other series maybe some Discworld, terry pratchett a little bit perhaps and and also adults who like that stuff the uh, the Myth Ink books, the Discworld books, the uh, stuff like that, which is a lot of humor in their science fiction and fantasy, science fiction and fantasy that doesn't necessarily take itself too seriously, but is open to having a lot of fun. And that's where that's what Lillian Lovecraft is. At the end of the day, it's it's a lot of fun. You just find yourself laughing and enjoying it, and and you know shivering a little bit in some of the horrific things, but never too much.
0: Well, you had uh, written a lovely guest post, which is available right now at MiddleGradeNinja.com, esteemed audience. Go and, and check it out as soon as you're done listening to this interview or while you're doing it. It's, it's your life. You do it as you, as you see fit. But uh, we talked, uh, you talked about the horrors of writing Middle Grade Horror, why books that aim to children can't be wash in blood. And you had four tips there for four steps to to kind of step back and make sure that your horror is going to be appropriate for a younger audience. So what tips can you offer as teamed audience about making sure that you haven't gone too far? And when do you know that you've gone too far? And, and, and if so, has that happened that you had to pull yourself back?
1: Not so much. Um, interestingly enough, there was in Dr. Fell when I was doing that, there was one bit that I knew they're going to say, I don't get it. They, they think that's not going to fly. And I, and they, they did. And I was like, I really want to keep that, you know. I, I I know it's not quite kosher here. It's not quite whatever it's supposed to be, but um, I want and I and I won the argument. It's still in there, and I was very proud of that. It's this bizarre feeling of what pain is, and it's, it's how it can be a a physical element that is pain and death. Um, you know, and that's it's dark. It gets very dark. Uh, Doctor Phil gets very dark at the end. Um. But it's still a, you know, very vibrant, fun, has an uplifting ending and so forth, sort of. Uh, so but I've never, other than that, never really had anything to take back. I think you've gone too far, esteemed audience, if the children start crying, that's a good step, good sign that maybe you've gone too far. If a book is thrown across uh, the room in disgust or fear, probably you went too far. Um, yeah, I don't do a lot of blood. In my books, uh, that's one thing that I definitely do. It, you know, people. I don't do a lot of dying. Uh, kids. When a character dies in a middle grade book, it has to be important because death is a very important thing at that age. You you, you can't just willy nilly. Oh, and this guy dies. Moving on. No, every death has a meaning, has a purpose, is important. Good guys or bad guys or innocent bystanders or what whatever. So you know, and I don't use them very often. Don't I don't think you know I don't have a whole lot of people dying in my books. Um, I honestly don't remember the guest posts. So I don't remember what I wrote. <laughs> 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 I'm going back. I,
0: had, I I had four ideas. I bet they were good. Yeah. Um, Sir, that was written, uh, let's see here, that was August 8th of 2016. You're telling me here that in 2021 you've had other thoughts since then? I am
1: Five sure. years is, yeah, in five years I haven't figured it out. Um, you no, know, but the whole writing horror for middle grade has always been a balance. There has to be some humor in it to, uh, for the most part, uh, but at the same time, I know some people who write stuff that doesn't have humor in it, and they—it's—it's it's just good, spooky. You're looking for spooky or creepy more than horrific and 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 god awful, mind-numbingly evil. Uh, you want that chill down the spine that it gets, and some of my books have elements of that in there. They'll, they'll bits in there that will make you go, you know. But uh, at no point, hopefully, are you be like. You know that's just not going to happen because you're because you've got to tone it down to a bit. But you want to. Kids need to be stretched. They want to be stretched. So you know I'm not. You never talk down to kids. You you know I don't write down to kids. I assume they're going to come up to the level that I'm at. And sometimes I get in trouble for that. Sometimes my stuff is too old. They think. Uh, Lillian Lovecraft is specifically. I pushed her. She is 14. Which is, you know, in middle grade, you're the all, every hero is 12 in middle grade. They're all 12 or about to be 12. Um, because with middle grade, you don't have to worry about um, romance. There's no romance in middle grade. Uh, the romance is saved for YA, but characters in YA are 17, 18, 19. Where are the books of the characters who happen to be 14 or 15? They don't exist. Um, well, so Lillian, Lillian's 14. She's a freshman in high school and just starting so there's elements uh very minor elements she's aware of certain things and her relationships are going to be different than the relationships of 12 of year old would be or in some of my books eight year olds have very different you know who they are that's one of the thing about beyond the doors is it's written in with four different characters uh point of view chapter by chapter i kind of go one two three four one two three four one two three four so i've got like 12 11 nine, and seven. So each time it's a different voice and it's a different having to see things in a different way. Uh, the younger sees things in certain ways than the older ones. Um, so that's where that comes from.
0: I think okay. I answered the uh, question. Um, self-censoring so, and kind of having some some basic guidelines that just to yes. with, let's have some humor, let's let's avoid blood. Do you use uh, some sort of a beta reader? How do you, I mean, you, you say we don't, we don't want to cry or I, I
1: well i do i have lots i have i have a valley a volley of readers uh a couple adults but mostly kids my books are read by kids uh they're gonna be the audience so i have them i have my beta readers are generally kids which means every few years i have to get new beta readers because they grow up i wish they would stop doing that <laughs> oh they were such good readers and now they're like Ugh. uh but yeah it you know it, it was easier when my kids were that age because all their friends were that age now i gotta like find kids who were that age and that's hard to do and you know you got a guy with a purple top hat hanging around the elementary schools and you know middle schools and people people think things so um but and i get response responses from them and i've like um i've had generally like they'll they'll say love they love it they're you know they like it this or they'll say they don't get this I have, every now and then you'll get that one you know precocious seventh grader is like you know you had a typo on this page and there was a typo over here. And I don't know why this character did this instead of that. And he's like, you know, thank you for fixing the typos. But, you know, did you like the book? Um, and I've had I've had people think, like, I had an eight-year-old read a book, uh, one of my other books, that, frankly, she was like, this is too old for me. You know, she knew that. Her mom knew that. And it was really 11, 12-year-old, you know, made meant for that. And at eight, she was, even though she was an advanced reader, it was too old for her. So, you know, something about having a severed foot throughout the beginning of it made, threw her off. So I, you know, I, get, I get sense from my beta readers, from the kids, if this is gonna work. And, and at this point also, I've done so many, I have an idea of what works. It's sort of a, you know, I've done the trial and error. Now it's, I got the formula to an extent. I know it's gonna, what's gonna, what's too much, what isn't enough, where to go. And and I push it, I I tend to push it a little older. So I I want, I I think there is a place, I think a lot of, kids always want to read older. Kids want to read about a character, a main character who's a couple years older than them. And we get a lot of kids who read through middle school and stop reading in high school uh, because when they're 13, they're either reading, they're not really ready to read uh, Twilight you know, you know, or if they are, they don't care. They're not at that level of what the relationship, which is all Twilight is. Um, but at the same time, they're done with *Lemony Snicket* because those kids are so young. Uh, so my my books are set a lot of them uh, for the for those kids who don't have as much for them to read. Uh, you when you get stuff like that, it's you the brilliance of like *Harry Potter*. The first couple books are middle grade books. As the audience got older, the books got older. Books couldn't keep up with the audience, but still the same thing is is the concept that uh, you know. by the time you get to the end, if they've read all the others and they're no longer, no eight-year-old is diving into Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows. They're devouring Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and then moving their way up. It's almost an education. So, and uh, the Rick Riordan's Lightning Thief series does the same thing Percy Jackson series starts young and then builds older and older so but my books I don't I don't have a that concept of starting young and then going older yet I don't have I do have a couple of ideas and I have one book one book that would work for that but at this point uh, these are one-off books so uh, I don't have a chance to build my audience to the right age. So I just, I'm ready for them to dive in and take this. And I, I you know, I hope they enjoy it. I think they will.
0: Do you not have plans to bring Lillian Lovecraft back for more?
1: I do. I do. I have a sequel. Um, I was actually writing it and I got sidetracked for something else because I was getting stuck with one plot point. And I was like, eh, let's move on to something else. Because sometimes it's you, you, you don't want to just bang your head against the wall for so long uh try to get one thing just move on to something else and then it'll fix itself in the back of your mind where you're subconscious but yes there there will be i would like Lillian lovecraft to have uh, a number of adventures she and frank have a lot of things they have to do uh to save the world uh there's a much larger thing at play so i this book sets in motion uh, what's going to happen in the next series the next few books
0: of course, if the esteemed audience only listens to this show, oh, my God, they're only hearing the most brilliant publishing professionals in the industry, and they might get the idea that that's representative of the entirety, and it, it probably is, mostly. But I am frustrated by this idea of there not being comps, therefore this book won't work. Where Where's the – let's create the comp. Let's do this. Let's do something new. Which I knew. Let's what's been um, done get more of the same, right?
1: Yeah, no, that, well, more of the same is safe because more of the same sells. Something is successful, then something, then it's another one just like it will be just as successful. And these days, uh, a lot of traditional publishing houses are about not failing. Uh, And so they know if they take something that is just like something else that has been very successful, that even if they fail, they won't be blamed because hey, it's just like this, which was very successful. We thought it would be just as successful, but if they fail with something that just has no comps and it's just well, why why are you take you bad? It was a bad judgment to take a chance on this, and obviously you shouldn't be here. They don't want to. You don't. They lose their job. They don't want to take a step into what something brand new might be, um, and it's just the way it is. So. Uh, but these days, with independent publishing, we can put our own books out, and we can take the risks for them, uh, for ourselves. And so, you know, with Lillian Lovecraft, I'm taking the risk. It is. It doesn't have, you know, as I said, it doesn't have comps really. It is its own creation. You know, it, not just the genre, but also talk about the age. Talk about being the character being 14. You know, I, I've had I had one book that uh, they were. They're like oh, we like this we just don't know if it's ya or middle grade so we're not going to publish it you know I got that, i've got that i've heard that before uh with characters too old to be published so it's 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 not great i i mean i would love you'd love to have more artistic you know smaller presses might have a better shot at taking that leap but the big presses will not take a leap they are all about protecting assets and doing what they know works. So if author, so if James Patterson, his last book made whatever, we know that the next 16 books of his will make the same amount of money. That's a safe bet. We're just going to go with that, you know.
0: You know, it's all good and well for me to talk tough on a podcast because it's not my job on the line. I understand. (laughs) Fair fair enough. So when do you start thinking that maybe uh, Lillian Lovecraft is going to be better off independently published?
1: Well, I considered it for a while, but hadn't really made any moves or doing anything. And then uh, I belong to a group called Spooky Middle Grade. You can get us at SpookyMiddleGrade.com. Bunch of basically, we are writers of Spooky Middle Grade. And uh, one woman said she was gonna, thinking about going independent. She wanted to know if anyone else was like, wanted to take the leap with her. And so I was like, you know what? Yes, I will take the leap with you. And then she ended up backing off, but I went forward um with it and, and this is only you know it's only a year ago or so i just said i want to make sure i want to make this happen and i, I had the book that i want to do it with like I'm not, I'm not going to write something new i've got a bunch of stuff that i want to publish um at some point that you know, is i want to create i want to create the genre i want to create the the nielsen genre of the weird and the fun and the wacky And the mix with with Lovecraftian horror humor for kids, and so I have a lot of books in that genre that I'm gonna, you know, you know, I'm gonna try to get them out there. So, Lily Lovecraft is the first of that kind, and it was an interesting experience. I'm still learning, still learning. Um, You know, um, I had a lot of fun getting the artist. I found her on uh, Instagram. She lives in Poland. Uh, she was great. She did a fantastic job. I loved her cover. It was perfect for me. Um, it was, you know, I, I searched out someone who had that style. Uh, this is the style of animation that I wanted. This kind of feel. And I didn't want anything too anime. Didn't want anything, you know, in black, and black and white. You know, I, I wanted this sort of living feel to it, and and I got it. Uh, putting it together the whole process of formatting it uh all the individual pages the the you know getting everything settled right and it was it was a learning experience and for my next one I will have learned many things and I will learn more with the next one they'll just get easier and easier as I go I'm sure
0: And obviously, since he's thanked in the back, I'm assuming Eric Myers, your agent, is fully on board with this and supporting you?
1: He is... He was on... He's actually is on board. I should be honest. uh, We parted ways very recently. Very... uh, Both sides, very amicably. Um, But he was very much behind what... uh, Me going independent. He thought that was a really good idea. Um, So, hopefully... Uh, it will the idea is to draw enough interest uh, with, with my books and get them in there with the ones that I've done that other, other publishers will see, oh, he's got these books and they sell. So we can take a little risk on him because we know he's sold these books, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so he's trying to build the two together because you have a lot more control over independent and you actually end up get a lot more royalties independent, but there's no advance. So, uh, in fact, the advance is out of your pocket, um, which is different. So you have to take that plunge and then you have to build it back up, whereas traditionally you get an advance and then you stay there for a long time until maybe you start making your advance back. Um, you don't have to make an advance back when you self-publish. You just start getting royalties from the beginning, which is, which is good.
0: And, of course, you're also um... – what's the the word I'm looking for you do one man shows you you do uh we'll we'll, we'll talk in a bit about your 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 better mystery parties I'm I'm fascinated by this but you're a classically trained actor Mm -hmm. uh and you're out there you're doing one man shows you're speaking to to different groups uh you're doing school visits already so you've already got your your foot in the door your network there I'm assuming that's maybe been a little bit hampered by this whole massive worldwide pandemic thing
1: yeah. That little thing. Um, yeah, this was a good October. Um, last October was just dead. I had no events, uh, because no one was getting out and doing anything and it was very depressing. We did a lot, I did a lot this time. And yeah, I'm selling my books at all my events. I sold tons and tons of books, um, which is great. It's interesting. I look at my sales numbers on Amazon and I realize I probably sold far more than that hand to hand at all, all my events throughout the month. Um, Because that's because I'm really good at at, when I can sell the story to you and I can explain to you how great this is and give you the energy of of what this is and how much fun these books are. You know, people respond to that. Uh, Reading a description on Amazon sometimes doesn't get them the same feel as hearing it from the author himself or herself. Um, So yeah, but doing the events, school school events, all the anything I can get, you know, books are always sold wherever I go, if I can.
0: So now that you've got the, the total freedom, you've got the higher royalty, you've already got the network in place, um, you can get books out, I'm assuming, much faster if you desire. Oh, yeah. And nobody tells you no anymore. You have to tell you no, if that. So what would be the desire, or is there a desire to ever go back to, to traditional? And what would be a project that would be better suited for traditional than independent?
1: Well, uh, something more mainstream would be more uh, better for that. And I have a, a project that I'm I now pitching out to agents that we're pitching out to hopefully to editors is much more mainstream. Um, and the reason to go back, well, a couple of things. First of all, in advance is nice. And they have a market. They, they, if, if they get behind you, they can do a lot in marketing, and they can give you opportunities that you can't get on your own. There are festivals that won't take self-published books. Some big festivals I'd love to be a part of, but I can't um, because the stuff, my most recent stuff, is independent, so they're not interested in me. Um, uh, and so, and there's a cachet. Also, those books, independent books, aren't going to be in bookstores. You know, you're going to get it on Amazon. Uh, that's pretty much it for now uh, other traditional public books, books will show up in barnes and noble and other bookstores around the country and so forth you know i, I remember walking into a barnes and noble and seeing you know a, at their time both of my books one one or the other and being excited is really really exciting is just, just to walk into a store and oh look they've got dr fell right there you know and uh i, w- I would go into stuff going when i get bored i go into bookstores then i found they had my book and then i would like stay there until i convinced someone to buy it <laughs> yeah. i remember i did this i did this whole book launch when dr bell came out at uh, books of wonder downtown which i don't think is. i think it closed but it was in manhattan and uh chris Gravenstein came he happened to live nearby we had the same agent and we'd met before and so he came to support me and he was the only person who came so for 45 minutes it was just me and chris Gravenstein. and then one kid was wandering by and the two of us like berated the kid until he bought the book. <laughs> we just like forced him to buy the book. And later, like a like a month later, I got an email like, "Hi, you, you know, I my son was the one who bought your book at Book Wonder. I just want to tell you that he read it. He absolutely loved it. Thank you. You know, it was great. And I felt good, good because we really berated that kid. <laughs> You're gonna buy this book. Come on, come on. He's right here. The authors right here. And you know, I got Chris Gravenstein doing that too. You know, come on. He's right there. It was fun." Had a great time.
0: I have a vague rumor. It's, it's not confirmed. So I never want to promise the scene. I really don't promise anything until it's, it's happened and it's definitely going to come out. And I know the date it's going to come out, but Chris Grabenstein is likely to be a guest on the show in, in 2022. I'm looking forward to Very that. Very cool. He's and hopefully he is we'll a, great a bunch of kids into buying some books. It'll be great.
1: Yeah. He's like <laughs> yeah. the nicest man in the world. He really is. Uh, I, I owe a lot to Chris and I think he's a great guy. And like poof. I can't uh, plug him enough. He's is like the nicest guy in the world. So you'll have a good time with him.
0: I will. Fingers, fingers crossed. Because the moment I open my mouth and say something that's the, where it's not already recorded in the can, that'll be the one that, that falls through and doesn't happen for some reason. And right. the event of that, hey, good news, he already faced the seven questions. You can read a written interview with him right now at middlegradedinja.com. And hopefully, Mr. Gravenstein, if you're listening, I can't wait to chat with you. Uh, you just heard me promise uh, everybody to listen, listen, so. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> None whatsoever. Uh, and I know that you had narrated the uh, your first two audiobooks for, for Dr. Bell uh, and, and, and for Beyond. I think I said Between, or there Beyond the Doors. Right. Um, uh, do you have plans to do an audiobook for Lillian Lovecraft, and would you be the ideal narrator for that?
1: I'd have to be the narrator for that. Uh, because I I do my books. I do all the voices. I know what those characters sound like, and I couldn't have Frank done by anyone but me. Um, I've thought about, because, but again, this is independent, which means I'm doing it. Now, I have have recorded books uh, at home. I've done some voiceover work at home, so I have that technology. Um, But it's a huge undertaking. And um, I can't guarantee enough of a payout at this point. I just can't guarantee that it would be worth all the time. And I have a regular day job. So the time it would take to to do that and put it together and the formatting myself is not something that I'm necessarily looking forward to. Maybe down the road, I would, I mean, I love doing voice voice work. So I would love to do a, a book for this. Uh, I loved doing the two books, the, the two audiobooks for Dr. Phil and Beyond the Doors. It was, it, it felt so professional. I go downtown I'm in Manhattan. I'm going up in the building and into the, the the booth, a very professional booth with everything there. And, you know, I got outside guys that got like six banks of computers and, he, and the director is doing all this. And it felt really cool like this. I'm really doing it. Yeah, this is so cool. Um, and, you know, they came out, they came out well, I thought but um doing it on my own is is um not something i'm looking forward to it's intimidating very intimidating
0: well you'd also have to measure the time you'd be spending on that against the time that you could be spending writing a sequel writing another book and all of that right
1: that's correct that's definitely correct
0: Ah, and I'm watching our time, and I'm I'm seeing that it's just slipped right by. That that always seems to happen. But I can't not ask about these murder mystery parties, okay? For, for groups of up to fifty guests. So how does that work, and is that still happening here uh, post pandemic? Uh,
1: I, I did a couple for the Sim- Sleepy Hollow Cemetery uh, back in, uh, about a month ago. Um, my murder mystery parties are very interactive. They you, if you're coming, you are a character you know who you're going to be ahead of time so you can come in costume you don't know much about your character you know that you're bob and you're a dentist you know that's about all you might know so you'll come dressed as a dentist or whatever you think that would be and then when you once you're there murder happens and you find out all stuff of you know, bob the dentist but you're also a member of a cult and you you know you had an affair with this person and you knew the, you know you you hated the villain the person who died the corpse was uh, your long lost ex ex-sister or something and you know you learn stuff about it and they you play this everyone is a suspect so everyone who comes is a suspect and the suspect the murderer doesn't know they're the murderer until they're there so you know they 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 know they're bob the bob the chef this time and and then they get their information it says oh by the way you're the killer don't tell anybody and uh, so I have them act out all kinds of silly things to earn money, which they can use to buy clues. And so people start with clues and they trade clues and they try other things for clues and they're trying to do all kinds of crazy things. taking pic- I, I take pictures of people doing crazy things or whatever. So it's very interactive. It is not for anyone who wants to just sit in the back and watch. Uh, there's always one or two per event that just sits there and is like, this is not what I wanted to do, but everyone else has a great time. Um, and I, I usually do them for about 20, 25 people. Uh, I did one for 50. So that's when I did one big one, but generally between 20 and 25 is, is the best, uh, best level.
0: It sounds like just so much fun.
1: It, it is. It's a lot of fun. And when it's a great night, usually, you know, you got some, you're serving wine, uh, which helps people feel a little happier and able to do more of the silly things. Uh, and you're just having a good time. And oftentimes, whoever the actual killer is doesn't matter. It's, it's did you have fun that night? And you always did. Everyone does.
0: And depending on who, uh, who your date is for the, the dinner party, if you're the killer, that's either a huge plus or a huge negative. It could right. go this, either this way. This could I be had...
1: true. This could be true. Very true.
0: So what esteemed audience knows I'm going to ask, because I make it my business to never uh, not ask someone who comes on this show. um, David Nielsen, have you ever seen a flying saucer and or a ghost? And do you believe in them? I have
1: never seen a flying saucer. I don't know if I've seen a ghost or not. I've seen things that I can't explain. I've seen things that... Uh, I run ghost tours here. That's one of the things I do in October is I run ghost tours of our 136-year-old music hall. And I've heard and seen things there that make me question. Do I think they exist? Yes. I, I think, I don't know if flying saucers exist. I guarantee that there's life on other planets. It's quite possible that We'll never be able to meet them because of the laws of physics. You know, there is no such thing as warp speed. There is no such thing as light speed. Maybe there are no thing wormholes. So maybe we're just the distance is too vast to actually meet them. Uh, but I know they're out there. It'd be ridiculous if there weren't. As for ghosts, spiritual energy. You know, it's, I don't think there's Casper the Friendly Ghost running around. But there is, I think, a residue left behind, perhaps, at certain times, certain things. Um, I I think there's something going on. There's lots of the unexplained, and that's what I love. I don't want to know everything. I want to have mysteries in my life. And these guys, those are mysteries that I enjoy.
0: You're not seeing the ghost, but what kind of creepy stuff are you encountering uh, on or around these tours? Well,
1: um, so there's one dressing room that has a on this mystery tour on in this music hall that has a history um lights turn themselves on when no one's around uh people feel of an energy and i was uh, rehearsing uh running through late at night before we opened the first ghost tour about three four years ago and i was in that room and suddenly like the hairs on my hands also stood up and my my skin just went and i just had to leave i just felt this like pressure like get out of this room um and so i did uh you know i've been in there plenty of times since without feeling anything at all and i've been in there plenty of times since late at night without feeling anything at all but that one time i definitely Something we mean, maybe it's the placebo effect, if you want to call it that. But there was something happened that got me wanting to not be there and raised the hairs on my on my hands and made me start shaking. Uh, So that's probably that was the biggest, most uh, concrete thing that I felt. Beyond that, we have um, we had the Gotham Paranormal Research Society come to our music hall and do spend three nights there recording everything and they sent us recordings and we have some some interesting stuff uh whistles and and, and singing just barely that no one hears and stuff like that that could be ghosts doing you know preparing for their show late at night or whatever so i'm listening to those but personally it'd be, it'd be that room
0: i say you start to feel like you should get out get out
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know if you know it's nice when the ghosts give you that warning by the way you should go now. Listen to them. You know, yeah. Go, run, run fast, run far.
0: Well, I probably hit record on my phone, set it down very slowly. Then <laughs> I'm, I'm... <laughs> uh,
1: they never show up on the phones. They're like the phones don't have the right type of uh, visual, whatever, to get catch them, other than the blur. But then the blur can always be explained away. And yeah like of,
0: there's always some kind of party pooper explanation for every great little bit of evidence that comes we up.
1: had we had one thing that had us petrified we had a door that was opening itself and we kept like doing it and we were convinced that that we'd stirred something up because this we'd close this door it would open itself and we had like four or five of us individually seeing this happen freaking out you got to come see this this is the weirdest thing okay and we figured out what was happening and it was nothing supernatural at all one of those metal hooks was on it and the metal was very shiny and kind of warped so when it get in the door it would slowly stretch out until it would pop open so we'd close the door walk away be nothing and 30 seconds later the door would open itself um it was completely non-supernatural but uh so that was a potty pooper, but boy, did it, it had our hearts pumping.
0: <laughs> I wish that, that there was at least one person that never found out the solution and has gone through their life just thinking, oh, my God, remember that haunted door? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got uh, one final question for you. Okay. I'm, I'm just saying that's, that's what we've got time left for. Sure. Thank you, David Nielsen, for for making the time and for being such an excellent guest with so many wonderful anecdotes to to share with us. And I know you're publishing, so hopefully we'll do this again sometime. Uh, But for tonight, my last question is always some variation of if you could go back toward the start of your career, middle of your career, wherever it would have been useful to you and give yourself some advice that might've made a a difference in your career and might make a difference in the career of everybody just watching or listening to us right now, uh, what would you go back and tell yourself?
1: I would try to convince myself that marketing is just as important as writing, even even as traditionally published, that you, you're expected to market your own books. I wasn't hooked into the school visits and I wasn't doing uh, a lot of festivals and stuff when my first book came out. And so it didn't get out there as much. Uh, if it had come out, a couple of years later, it would have had a lot more oomph. It would have had a lot more reach. So get involved early. Get your you know, get a newsletter going, get a website, get uh, you know, get your Twitter, get on social media just a little bit and go out to events and sell yourself at events and and be there so you're now have a a machine churning so when the book comes out it doesn't come out to nothing it comes out to a machine that's already rolling and ready to start spreading the news because you have to spread the news uh as any way you can which is why you need to all buy
0: lillian lovecraft in the harmless horrors today there's that commercial voice (laughs) David, where uh, can an esteemed audience find you online, follow you on social media and all that good stuff? Uh, My
1: website is david-nielsen.com. That's D-A-V-I-D-N-E-I-L-S-E-N.com. I I am on Facebook uh, for now, which is at like slash David Nielsen author. Uh, I'm Mr. David Nielsen on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, those are the most, I think that's the end, the end result of what I've got uh, are those pieces right there to Instagram, Twitter, Facebook website, and I've got a newsletter that I send out every couple of months.
0: What uh, kind of wonderful uh, pieces can esteemed audience look forward to when they've signed up for your newsletter? Uh,
1: information about what, what some of my events, uh, some book reviews sometimes I'll review all the books I've read. Um just other random things on top of my head uh, information about my books, of course, and what's coming up. Uh, I did a cover reveal not that long ago uh, and so forth. So all kinds of, all kinds of goodies.
0: Uh, As always esteemed audience for more information about me and more importantly, more information about the show interviews and two guest posts by tonight's guest, David Nielsen, head to middlegradeninja.com. Download your free copy of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees. It will change your life. And as always, God will that I'm alive. I'll see you next week. Thank you.